And, and he, he says, call me Abba, Daddy, Father. It's about relationship. But even in the context of that relationship, there is a sense of reverence because God's names display his power and his glory and his majesty that he is, he is way beyond us. So a part of praying and learning how to pray God's word, uh, I want to teach you that because you'll never run out of anything to pray. Uh, God will take you deeper with him through praying his word. The Bible's not just a book to be read, it is also a prayer to be prayed. And so it, you can take this template of the Lord's Prayer and utilize it anywhere in Scripture. So I'm giving you an Old Testament example today, a New Testament example tomorrow. Keep bringing this back with you because it's going to unfold as we go through the Lord's Prayer. So we start off like what? In Psalm 19, I just pulled out all God's names, how God's referenced himself. Um, this is how God's displaying himself in that psalm, right? So on the back of that, you'll notice there are possible prayer prompters. And these are just suggestions. You don't have to like follow this to the letter. Um, these are ways I can take God's name and begin praising him, begin worshiping him, begin relating with him. Um, communicating with him, his names, and, and becoming reliant upon his names because his names display his character. And then, as we're going to look at today, thy, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth that is in heaven, is there's a response. I, re, I make a response to this heavenly father on the basis of his names. And so we're going to talk today about the prayer of surrender. And so I'm responding to God, and then Jesus went on to say, you know, we Give us our day, this day our daily bread, and he's talking about the resources that we need, right? We have relational resources that we need. We have uh, resources for our lives, and so, um, and so we, we respond, and we, we make these requests. And so here's taking Psalm 19 and how you might make requests of God. You know, I trust that you will receive my, my soul so that I will, what? I, I will not be afraid of death, or I, I will not fear walking through this valley and then readiness is, for thine is the kingdom and power and the glory and glory forever and amen, is that, you know, I'm, I'm ready now to bring alignment in my life with the will of the Father so that I, I walk in that alignment. And so these are my responses to God. They're just, they're just affirmations of prayer, and you can turn these into declarations. A declaration is just simply a, simply a statement of truth that I'm declaring back to God. God, I, I declare that I, you know, um, I, I, I am, I, who, the, the one who's in me is greater than who, he who's in the world. I don't have to fear. I don't have to be afraid. I don't have to, you know, I, I, I don't have to live like an orphan. I'm a child of the king. All these resources are available to me through your son, Jesus Christ. He, he is the ultimate one who's brought me all spiritual blessings. And so you're making these declarations we're going to talk more about that, but today we're going to focus on um, this section of the Lord's Prayer in dealing with, with uncontrolled uh, circumstances, people, and pain that creates stress. Now, the very first message I shared in this whole series on prayer, I made a statement, and I know when I made the statement, by the look on your face, some of you didn't believe it. And my statement was basically this, if you don't learn how to make connection with your Heavenly Father, um, you're never going to live a life of peace. You're always going to be in turmoil. Uh, you're always going to be filled with stress. And you're just not going to live the life of peace and serenity that really God wants you to live. And so I'm going to start off in this message by giving you three reasons why that, that, is, that is happening in your life. Um, 
Here are some different areas in your life that create stress. Right? First one is this, is uncontrollable circumstances, right? These are things outside of your control. You, are, you find yourself in a situation for which you have no control over, and we face these uncontrollable circumstances all the time. It's, it's like you feel helpless because the situation is out of your control. Now, it may be something as mundane as sitting in traffic, right? You get on a gridlock on 270, you can stomp your feet. You can roll down your window. You can flip the bird at somebody. You can cuss somebody. It's not going to, that's outside your control. It's not moving traffic. It's not doing anything. That's good, right? So it might be, you know, I I see this all the time, okay, in airports when, uh, for example, uh, yesterday, uh, a flight got delayed for an hour and people immediately are like storming the desk like these poor ladies who are behind the desk have any control over when this flight is going to leave the airport, right? People just, they're out of control, they get out of control. There's something they cannot control. Or it may be something that's more serious, like you get laid off at work, right? That's circumstances outside of your control, you're laid off, but you have to deal with that. Or the uncontrollable circumstances can be very deep and painful and intense. Like, for example, um, you're told you have cancer, or you have, um, you know, a child with a, a grieving illness, or a, a loved one dies. So those things are beyond our control. We have no control over those. How we handle those stressors has everything to do with how we live our lives, ultimately. You know, what am I going to do with this? This is outside of my control. For example, this past week, there was a Norwegian cruise line that was supposed to make numerous stops and wasn't able to do so because of the weather. They had, uh, you know, on the ship, them, somebody videoed this. I mean, the passengers, like, just like, it was like anarchy. I mean, they, they were protesting and yelling and screaming and, and all these things to the poor crew members, and they have no control over that. They have no control over the weather, and this is so stressors in our lives. We all have things that are uncontrollable in our circumstances. What about uncontrolled or uncooperative people? <laughs> Got any of those in your life? Work with anybody like that? You got a family member that no matter what you do, it's never right and it's never enough? Like they're the cranky old person that you don't want to be around, and they don't even have to be old. They can be young. So, yeah, don't look at them. Now, <laughs> people in your life that, you know, again, it's just you, you can't do anything about it. They just create stress in your life, and they're not going to change, and, you know, you've been waiting for them to change for the last 20, 30 years, and nothing changes. So, you know, you can't do anything about this. Yesterday when I was on a plane, I, I, I felt really bad for this young couple. Uh, they had two children, one a little girl that looked like she's about four years old, and she was fine, and they had a son who was probably about 18 months old who was not just crying, he was screaming, right? So this is a two-hour flight. This kid's an hour into the flight, he's still screaming, and, and the poor mother is trying to do everything she can to, um, you know, calm her child down, but nothing is working, and you know, the guy sitting right behind them gets up and says snot, some snot remark and storms to the back of the plane where there's an empty seat. And so I really felt bad for this couple. And it's like, well, you know, you could tell she felt, it's just like you like want to crawl under the seat. Like, what can I do to get my child to stop? So here's an uncooperative child. Nobody on that plane had any control over that child. Now, I know what my mother would have done when I, back in the days, but she would have given me some of my uh, grandmother's recipe. Uh, 
which is about 95 proof. Uh, I think I had a lot of Jack Daniels and a little bit of honey mixed in. That's about it. So it didn't matter what ailed you as a child. They were shoving that stuff in your mouth. It's like the snake oil of the Western movies. It's going to cure everything. No, it just knocks you out. Okay. Uh, what, about un, what, what about unexplainable pain? We all have painful events that happen in our lives for which we don't know why it's happening. We don't see the purpose or the cause behind it. And it's unexplainable because it just doesn't make sense. You know, we're wondering why this is, there's just no rhyme or reason. We see no good purpose for it. And so we ask questions like, you know, Lord, why me? Why now? Why this? So these are stressors in your life, all right? All of these can create tremendous amounts of stress in your life. And notice, okay, these things are beyond your control. These circumstances, these uncooperative people, these unexplainable events that happen in your life. So what is the solution to this? And here's what Jesus says to us. The only solution to this is absolute surrender. You've got to learn how to surrender. This is really what the prayer is all about that he teaches us. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It is a prayer of surrender because we all deal with these three issues in our lives. So what does it mean? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth. What is in the world is God's kingdom? Well, let me tell you what it's not. God's kingdom is not a political entity it's not an institution. Uh, it's, it's not national. It's not governmental. What it is, it's eternal and it's universal. It has nothing to do with government. And we're not trying to, as a church to set up a theocracy. And what I mean by that, it was, it's, listen, God never established the local church so that we could be, be the rule makers for mankind. Like, it's not our responsibility for what people do with their lives. It's... God gave them the freedom to choose, just like he gave you the freedom to choose. I cannot legislate uh, my kingdom principles upon somebody. I can't force them to follow it. They're not a follower of Jesus. They have no desire to follow it. And by the way, they couldn't anyways. They don't have the Holy Spirit to help them to do that. God never said to the church, hey, go out and tell everybody how bad they are and all the bad things they're doing and, you know, they need to do this, that, and No, no, that's not what Jesus had in mind. In fact, Jesus in John 18 says, my kingdom is not even of this world. His plan is so much bigger than this world. History is his story and God's unfolding plan. So what I mean is this. It's not that we are not to stand for our convictions and that we as kingdom citizens, we, we follow the kingdom you know, of God's rule and reign in our lives. We have the Bible, God's guidebook for kingdom citizens, but I cannot force this onto anybody. That's not what the kingdom's about. The second thing the Bible says is the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but power. The Apostle Paul at one time says, you know what, I came to you, I didn't come to you with persuasive words, but I did come with you to you with the power of God. I displayed the power of God. That means that the kingdom of God is not just something that you talk about. It's not conceptual. It's not just something you, um, you know, it's not creedal. It's not just something that we say and debate and discuss and dialogue. He says it's transformational. It's powerful. See, we, we can come together every single week as a church. We can sit in classrooms 
And we can talk all about the Bible, you know, discuss the Bible and discuss doctrine, and we can discuss the application of the Bible and how that applies. But if we don't do anything about it, it is void, right? It's useless. It doesn't matter if I know what the application is. The question is, am I doing the application? And so the kingdom of God is not words, the Bible says. It's power. It's transformational. It's experiential. So in other words, if I'm going to bring some of heaven to earth, and God has given us that capability to do that, because as we talked last week, he gave us delegated authority. And God says to me, listen, I want you to pray for that person because I'm going to bring healing into their life. I can talk about all, you know, okay, God, I know you can do that. You have the ability and capability. I'll just pray at a distance. God says, no, I didn't ask you to pray at a distance. I ask you to go lay hands on them and actually pray for them because I want to demonstrate for them the power of the kingdom of God in the here and now. I want, to, I want them to experience that that's going to soften and open their heart and their life to the gospel of Jesus Christ. The question is, am I going to do it? Will I follow what God has asked me to do? See, we, we talk all about God's power and his ability in these things. The question is, are we actually demonstrating it through us as we, as we display the power of God, his ability to, to save and to heal and to deliver? And, and so, you know, salvation, again, if I don't share my faith, if I don't share with people how they can have relationship with Jesus Christ, then people don't get saved, right? But if I do that, then people experience the power the third thing, the kingdom is not. Romans 14 says the kingdom is not a matter of what we eat or drink. In other words, it's not a material, but it's living right with God and a life of peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. In other words, it is spiritual and it is relational. Now, why do I point all that? The kingdom is eternal, the kingdom is powerful, and the kingdom is relational. Because if I don't understand what the kingdom is, that I don't understand what the kingdom does. So where is the kingdom of God? And I didn't put this on your outline, but you can jot this down. The kingdom of God is wherever Jesus is king, right? The kingdom of God refers to the rule and the reign of God. And wherever Jesus is king, that means that the rule and the reign of God is there. So we live in a world with two rival kingdoms. You have the kingdom of Satan, Remember, Jesus calls him the ruler of the air, the prince of the power of the air. Um, and so you have the kingdom of Satan, you have the kingdom of God, dual kingdoms here on planet earth, at least temporarily. Now, there will come the day when it's just the kingdom of God. But for right now, there are dueling kingdoms. And so if we're going to bring the will of God, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we are the conduit with, through which that happens through prayer and then if I'm bringing God's will here on earth, that means that Jesus is king in that place. So if Jesus is living in your heart as your Lord and Savior, that means the kingdom of God is not just around you. The kingdom of God is inside of you, right? It, so if, if, if um, yeah, the Bible says that the kingdom of heaven is at hand, it's around you, it's within you, it's on earth. And so thy kingdom come, thy will be done. It's, that's redundant. It says... The kingdom come will be done. It's the same thing. The kingdom of God is wherever God's will is being done. So if, if God's will is being done in your family, then the kingdom is being exercised in your family. If God's will is being done in our church, the kingdom of God is in our church. If God's will is being done in your career, the kingdom of God is in your office. 
So when we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, why do we pray that? Because God's will is not always done on earth. In fact, it's rarely done. That's why we pray it. It's not God's will for evil to happen. It's not God's will for a child to be abused. It's not God's will that nations would rise up and war against nations. Those are not God's will. So we live every day among people and in circumstances, and we experience pain. And oftentimes the pain that we experience comes at the hands of other people, things that they say, things that they do, and that we had no control over. And so God's will is not being done. It's not God's will that people make bad decisions but it happens all the time. And so, because in heaven, what, what happens in heaven? God's will is always perfectly done, right? There's no sickness. What's the revelation? There's no sickness. There's no death. There's no pain. God's will is always done in heaven. So when we're praying for God to release his will upon the earth, we're asking him to release his rule and his reign upon the earth so that his will can be done in a situation in which God's will is not being done. You ever notice when something bad happens, people say all the time, well, must have been God's will. No, it wasn't. Stop blaming God. His will is not being done. And quite frankly, it's our fault, right? We, we live in a fallen world. We live among fallen people, and much of the pain that we experience comes at the hands of those people. That's why the Bible says that life and death is even found in the power of your tongue. The words that you speak, you can just rip somebody up. So here is a prayer of surrender, and it simply says this, God, you're in charge. You're in charge. I'm acknowledging you are in charge. You're in charge of those uncontrollable circumstances. You're in charge of the uncooperative people. You are in control of the unexplainable pain in my life. God, you are in charge, and therefore I am surrendering. I'm surrendering all that I am. I'm surrendering under the lordship of Jesus. I'm asking God that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, and I will await for that to happen. I don't stand at a vending machine and say, God, you know, my neighbor's got a pool. I got to have a pool. You know, here's my prayer. Right? Here's, here's where we get in trouble is we spend a lot of time praying, trying to strong arm God, manipulate God, make God feel bad because he's not giving me certain things. We think that prayer is all about getting God to do my will rather than the other way around is which I am to align to his will, not God to mine. But that's the way we pray, right? If you really listen to your prayers, I'm as guilty as anybody else is that I'm trying to get God to do what I want God to do. Rather than coming with an attitude of surrender and saying, Lord, I don't know what your will is in this situation. Here I am in this circumstance. I don't know what your will is. But God, whatever your will is, if you'll just show me, guide me, direct me, I am surrendering myself to your will, whatever that is. That's a prayer of surrender. As opposed to a prayer of defiance. Like, God... (laughs) You've got to give me what I want. I'm telling you, you've got to do what I want. Whole different way of praying, is it not? A prayer of defiance is you just want God's opinion 
so that you can put it in your basket of opinions that you gathered up from all of your friends on Facebook to figure out which one you want to follow. That's the difference. So surrender. We have to surrender some hard things. So what does it mean to surrender to Jesus? Number one, it means letting go of control. Let go of control and acknowledge that the, acknowledge God's will is greater than yours. Every single day when you get up out of bed, you have to make the decision. Is God going to be in control of my life or am I going to be in control of my life? Well, I'll have to make that decision. Am I, am I going to be in control or is God going to be in control? There, there are verses in the Bible that you ignore because you don't like what they say. And you're like, I'm not doing that, God. I ain't following that. You just stick your chest out there. And like, God says, here's how gracious God is. God will say, okay, don't. Okay. He, listen, he gave you free will. He can't force you to do anything. Now, he can say, I see things on down the road if you follow that pathway that are not going to lead to a very good destination. I really want to save you from that. But if, you are, if you're just bent on going that direction, okay. But when you suffer the consequences of that, you did it. You made the decision. I didn't. I'm trying to save you from that. That's why Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, acknowledge his will, acknowledge his control, surrender to that, and I will make your path straight, which simply means that God will put your feet always on the best path that leads to the best destination. That's what he wants to do. But so we have to get, we got to decide who's going to be in control of my life. Because here's... <laughs> When you are in out-of-control situations that are beyond your control, here's, here's two extremes that we go to. For some of you, when you get around uncontrollable people or you're in uh, uncooperative people or you're in uncontrolled circumstances, or you, here, here's what you You try even harder to control things because you're control free. And so you just grab the bull by the horns and you're going to control this and you're going you're gonna to control that person and... You know why you do that? Because you're insecure. See, insecure people think they have to control everything, which just breeds more insecurity. Because you begin to realize you can't control people. I can't control my wife. She can't control me. I couldn't control my kids. I can't control my grandkids. I, I can't control anybody. I have no ability to control people. And God never called me to control people. He never called you to control people. But we tried to do that. And I you know, we'll try to make things happen. Well, you know what? I'm going to make my marriage work. You got no control over your spouse. What if they just come home one day and say, I'm done. I'm out of here. You got no control over that. Now, the Bible gives us all kinds of framework and wisdom from which to operate to have the best life we can, but I just want you to see you cannot control things. And so the other extreme is you, you're not controllers. You just give up. You just throw in the towel, and you're just like, Pfft. and so, you know, you swallow and wallow. And you're a merry martyr, you know, it's like, oh, nothing ever works out for me. Life was horrible, and, you know, and then you have your, your little pity party, and guys do the same thing. When we're like turtles, we just kind of withdraw on our shell, and we have our pity party, and we get up, and we look in the mirror, and the mascara is falling down, and then just, 
The truth is, we don't like the word surrender. So let's just acknowledge it. We don't. For us, surrender means, oh, I'm throwing in a white towel. Okay, God, I surrender. You get your way. You. That's not what God wants. God wants relationship. And he wants a relationship that has the best in mind for you, right? So he wants you to know and acknowledge, listen, my will for you is always going to be the best. So here's how I define God's will. God's will is the path that you would choose for yourself if you could see things from God's perspective. And that's part of our problem is we live in such a limited perspective of things, and God has no limitation like that. He sees everything from beginning to end, every decision you make today, how it's going to affect your life tomorrow and the next day and the next year and the next year and the next year. He sees all of that. He does not have that limited perspective. So God's will means that you're, he's asking you to surrender to. He's saying, listen, if you could see this from my perspective, I'm telling you, you would choose, you would willfully choose what it is I'm choosing for you because I'm always going to put your feet on the best path that leads to the best destination. Stop trying to control things. You're not God. So if you're just wasting a lot of energy trying to control people and things and circumstances, you're wasting a lot of time. And the number one reason you're under stress is because you're in conflict with God. You don't want to surrender, right? You're in conflict with him. And you won't let him do what only he can do. And so, you can, again, you can't control anyone or anything. And so the prayer of serenity, so to speak, the prayer of peace. And so if you've ever been to AA meeting or heard the prayer of serenity, it goes like this, and here's the part that most of us know. It's called the serenity prayer. It says, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. But you never read the rest of the prayer. Let's go on with it. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as a pathway to peace, taking as Jesus did this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that you will make all things right if I surrender to your will so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever in the next. That's the rest of the prayer. So if you want to reduce stress, if you want to cut it off, you have to let go of control and start accepting God's will, whatever that is. Sometimes, it, it, is, is it God's will? It's not that God sends things into your life because he wants you to be miserable. He just leverages what life brings to you in order to grow you in your walk and your relationship with Jesus Christ. So Romans 8, 28 and 29 talks about we being conformed to the image of Christ. And so God just leverages the stuff that happens to us because we live around, you know, uncooperative people. Or we live around uncontrolled circumstances from time to time, things that are beyond our control. But the prayer of surrender is, God, I'm coming to you. I'm surrendering everything over to you because I'm acknowledging that your will is better. Here's the second one is that you you... If you're going to surrender to Jesus, it means you learn to be content and allow God to show you his will. Learn to be content. That's a tough one. Now, in, in my situation, I can worry about things. Does that work? I can be resentful. 
and um, get bitter. Is that helpful? Or I can feel guilty about it, ashamed and regret, or I can sink back in self-pity. See, none of those things are helpful. None of those things alleviate any stress from your life. Nothing, those things don't change anything. There's only one thing that works in situations that you can't change. In a prayer of surrender, acknowledge that God, your will, if I, if I, had, if I could see things from your perspective, I would always choose it. The one word that alleviates the stress is the word acceptance. I come to a point of acceptance as to where I am at this moment in my time, in, in my life. So turn to uh, Philippians chapter 4 and look what the Apostle Paul learned um, that he gives to us in this passage. And I'm only going to probably get through uh, this point and then we'll be done. Right, so don't stress, I'm not going till 1230. We'll pick this up next week. Um, I plan on it being two weeks anyways. So I want you to catch this point, though. L- listen to what Paul says. Philippians chapter 4, verses, um, and I, I don't know what your translation is, but we're going to pick up in verse uh, 11. I'm not saying this because I am in need, because I'm in need, for I have learned I have learned, circle the word learned, I've learned to be content whatever the circumstance. Did Paul find himself in uncontrollable circumstances? You better believe he did, all right? So when Paul penned this book of Philippians, he wasn't sitting in a hotel in Orlando in 85-degree weather. He was chained as a prisoner to a Roman guard in a dark, damp prison cell and There he was waiting whether or not he was going to be executed or not. And so he says, here I am, I'm in this, this is my circumstance. This is where I am at this moment in my life. And I have learned to be content. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in every, in any, in every situation. Circle that, every situation. How many situations are every? Every situation, right? Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Now, we love to quote that passage, don't we? I can do all things in Christ who gives me strength. But we forget the context in which it's set, right? Yeah, so he says, I've learned how to be content in Christ, and uh, God's given me the strength to do that. So The word learned, right? Contentment is a learned experience. It does not come natural to us. We are not naturally contented people. Now, where I was in Orlando, I was at Hilton Hotel, and you just kind of cross over the road, and it's Disney Springs, which is like, used to be called Disney Downtown. It's all free stuff. It's got all kinds of stuff, but, you know, thousands of people there. Here's what I learned. Children are never content, right? It didn't matter how much Mama and Daddy bought for them, or Grandma and Grandpa, it was never enough. The next store they went into, they wanted it. If they didn't get it, they're out there in the middle of the street throwing temper tantrums. I, I, I'll tell you what. If I would have had a case of my grandmother's recipe, I could have made a lot of money in, in those two days. Like, here, give this to that child. You won't, listen, you won't hear a thing for the next couple hours. Because we, that's just the way we are. It's a mark of maturity, of emotional maturity, to learn to be content. 
Immature people are never content with anything. No matter what you get, it's never enough. It, I always got to have more. It's always the next thing. And, um, and so they're always upset, right? Because they, they never, nobody gets everything they want. It's a mark of emotional and spiritual maturity when you learn it. It's a choice. Notice he says it's only possible through Christ's strength. He gives me strength to be contented. One of the problems we have with contentment is because we're always looking for explanations in our lives as to why things have happened. This is why we can't be content. God, I can't be content until you, until you explain to me why this has happened. And we talked about this last week. God didn't, doesn't tell us why most things are happening in our lives. And quite frankly, it just ticks us off. Like, I'm mad at God because I, I want to know. I want an explanation. I demand an explanation. Listen to me. When God goes silent on you, it's because he's testing you. Remember, this relationship is a faith walk. And so God puts you under the test. God doesn't owe you an explanation for anything. He doesn't owe you an explanation First of all, because you wouldn't understand it if he did give it to you. Well, you know, back in 1897, these things happened. It's going to affect 2052. And so, right? But here's the biggest one. An explanation never takes away the pain of the event. Never. If God were to say to you, hey, let me explain to you why this terrible thing happened to you. You think that's going to take the pain away? It won't. It won't. I mean, if I went into the doctor and I've got this severe pain in my leg and he does an x-ray, he slaps it up on there and says, well, I noticed this on the x-ray and here's the explanation as why this is happening and, and he gives me this full-blown explanation why this is taking place and I walk out of the doctor's I still got the pain. I still got the pain. Right? Now, he may give me a prescription that may help dull that pain or take it away or whatever, but just explaining it to me is not going to to take away the pain. Well, the same thing is true emotionally. No explanation has ever taken away somebody's pain. So I don't know why you're spending so much time looking for why things have happened. You don't need God's explanation. What you really need is his presence. One of the reasons for this 21 days of um, prayer and fasting is just to get you in tune with God's presence. See, there's an issue I've been dealing with in my life, and, and it's, it's an, an unexplainable thing. And, and I'm like, God, you know what? I'm not asking you for an explanation. I'm just asking you, because I believe that your will is best, whatever that is, I'm just asking you for my next step. And so somebody was saying, speaking, and uh, they didn't realize God used that individual to speak to me and said, here it is. And here's what God said, stay the course. Just stay the course. Don't give up. Don't throw in the towel. Don't walk away. Stay the course. That was his explanation. That was his answer. That's all I need to know. When God is silent in your life, you're going through a test. He may feel like a million miles away, but I'm telling you, he's going to speak eventually. But you have to let go of control. God, whatever it is, I'm, I'm surrendering. I'm coming with a surrendered heart. I'm opening myself up. God, whatever the next step is for me, whatever it is, I'm, I'm, I am surrendered totally to you and to your will because I believe that if, God, I can see things from your perspective, I would always choose 
what it is that you would choose. And so I'm acknowledging and allowing God to show me his will. So there are four ways that he does that, and we'll, this, this is it, right? We'll stop. Number one is through the Bible. Um, I'm amazed, and, and this was true of my life early on, my Christian life. I didn't spend much time in God's Word. I'm going to tell you, if you live with a closed Bible, you are shutting yourself off from the voice of God by and large. 99% of God's will is already found in His Word. And as I said last week, the principles that God gives to us in His Word are to, are to build a framework through which we, um, we see things and we make decisions and we follow the Lord because God, God can't, he, listen, the Bible can't answer every little question that you have about life and marriage or whatever it is that you're asking him, but he gives you the framework of his, the logos, the Bible, and then the rima, the word, the message of God, and that message comes through the Spirit of God using the Word of God to speak a word specifically to you for that particular time in your life. But if you live with a closed Bible, you will, by and large, you will miss those Rima moments. What Paul said in Romans 10, 17, for faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. That word, word, is Rima. It is the voice of the Holy Spirit who's speaking. So sometimes as you're in the Word, I mean, you're just reading, and you've got questions in your mind, you've got decisions to make, and, and all of a sudden, God just like lifts something up off the page, and it's like, bam, God just spoke to me through that Word. Sometimes it's um, through the Bible, sometimes it's just through prayer, and uh, as you're praying, and you're just worshiping the Lord, and maybe God just kind of like gives you a, a direct line, um, you're just seeking God's will, and you're ready to adjust your life to that will, whatever it is. And so God speaks to you in prayer. Sometimes it might be through the church. Now you come here on Sunday mornings and you hear a message and it's like, man, the preacher's been reading my mail. Uh, how did you know that? And so, yeah, and so God just speaks directly into your life because you, you're looking for that, right? You want God to speak. You want God to have input into your life because you're surrendering yourself to the lordship of Jesus every day of your life. Or maybe it is through um, a small group. You know, you need people who are speaking into your life. You need people who are asking you good questions, drawing out of you, um, speaking into you. We all need that. It, they, those are avenues by which God speaks and unveils himself to us. So let me ask you in closing. We'll pick up the next two points next week. And I just want you to be very honest about this. And don't sugarcoat it. Don't act like, oh, well, this never happens to me. What are you angry with God about that you don't want to admit? What is it? What are you angry with God about? That you, but you don't really want to admit it. Is it the way he made you? Oh, God, why couldn't I have been six foot four? Right? Hey? Maybe it's just the parents he gave you. The household you grew up in. Um, maybe it's a disappointment in your life. Like you were really counting on that one thing. It didn't, it didn't happen for you. It all fell apart. Maybe it was a marriage, a relationship, an engagement, a job, a business. I know someone whose business started a business on their own and things fell apart. 
And that's been over 30 years ago. And probably one of the most angry, bitter individuals I think I've ever met. An angry guy. God, I was, I'm a Christian. I, I, I went to church. I read my Bible. I prayed. I gave. I served. Maybe it's because you're single. I don't know. But I do know this. All You have to realize that you're only hurting yourself and robbing yourself of inner peace. A prayer of surrender is a prayer of God. I don't understand everything. I have no explanation for I don't have no explanation why my sister was killed at 18 years old or 20 years old. Not a believer. Killed in a car wreck. I, I have no explanation. Why my grandparents were tragically killed. I have no explanation. You see, faith is my willingness to trust God even if he never explains it to me. And maybe he never will. I don't know. But in the meantime, I'm putting everything, lock, stock, and barrel, everything in this relationship with my Heavenly Father through His Son, Jesus Christ, in absolute surrender because I believe that God's will, if I could see things from His perspective, I would always choose what He has chosen for me. I didn't say I would always like it. I just said I would always choose it. I don't like the fact that some of the things that happened to me in my childhood happened. But I praise God for the fact that those things have become platforms for ministry and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ so that people can be saved and set free and shed off all of the hurt and the anger and the bitterness in their own life because that's what our God does. He is a good, good father. Let's bow our heads together.